So welcome to another episode of the Treasury Career Corner. This week, I'm delighted to be joined by a good friend of mine, Conor Marr, who as well as being the head of cash and liquidity product management for RBS, was one of the first treasury professionals I ever placed in my career at Hewlett-Packard way back in the 90s. As always, I'll be talking to Conor about his career, where he is now, and where he sees both himself and the treasury profession going in, going in the future. Conor started his career in group treasury within banking, then he made the move to Treasury with Hewlett-Packard, and then he moved back into banking once again. A number of years at HP, then joined a, a RBS. Um, Connor's obviously a very proud Irishman and a fellow of the Association of Corporate Treasurers. Connor, uh, let's, that's enough from me. Let's, let's get over to you. You originally started, you qualified in Dublin, and then started your career way back when, with, originally with Barclays. Yes, indeed. So, um, hello, everybody. Um, so, um, when I qualified from uh, from university, I think like a lot of graduates, I really didn't have a scooby about what I wanted to do. Um, so, I went down the route, really, of looking to get on to um, a graduate training program with a blue chip company. And uh, that saw me uh, join the graduate training program at Barclays, which was a great uh, induction into my, my career. Um, good structured training, had a variety of different roles uh, to uh, experience. Um, and I did that for, for a number of years. But one of the things that sort of followed through was um, a sort of a niggling interest in Treasury. So um, I had to do my banking exams at Barclays. That was sort of the expectation um, in those days when you're on a graduate training program. And when I finished my banking exams, I decided to keep going and decided to uh, commence the course of study with the ACT. So I did the AMCT exams um, and decided to keep going, and then I completed my MCT. And at that point, then I decided actually it was time for a change. I was sort of interested in thinking, right, I'd like to try and put some of that theory into practice in the corporate treasury environment. And that was the point at which I then made the jump from Barclays into HP. You were in banking, obviously. I remember talking to you at the time about, you know, you'd, you'd, you'd made a number of different moves internally within Group Treasury at Barclays, and then you were saying, well, can I make the move to corporate treasury? And it was great that we found uh, the late Sarah Jones, who was very, you know, willing to think around things. But why did Treasury, corporate treasury, that appeal to you at the time, would you say? Um, the, uh, I suppose I, I did the exam. I suppose I, I moved into Treasury. There were, there were a couple of things. Um, I should probably add that my interest in doing the Treasury exams was also fueled by an interest in sort of having a good, recognised and respected um, professional qualification behind me. And I suppose the move then into HP was really around actually how do I get some ex- exposure in a in a corporate Treasury environment as opposed to a bank Treasury environment. And you know, again, at the time, it was a it was a very big leap of faith. I remember uh, former colleagues at Barclays being absolutely astounded that I would make the decision to actually voluntarily leave the bank and go join the wilderness of a U.S. multinational. But um, you know, at the time, the dot the dot com bubble uh, was getting into full swing, so it was you know clearly a very sort of dynamic industry to be moving into. And for a company like HP, with its heritage and and global reach and and brand, it was a very attractive um, uh, employment opportunity for me to to be able to go into a company of that size and complexity, and you know to work in what was um, you know a very forward thinking treasury team. 
And you joined uh, the, in the role of Treasury Consultant before, which initially, you know, we've talked about before, you were sort of doing a spin-off and things, but then your role evolved and changed. You, know, you were sort of head of Treasury Services. Perhaps talk to the listeners, just if you would, about how Tre- HP was set up in Treasury terms, because it's a global, you know, massive global company, but based in sunny Bracknell with a, a lovely ski slope. Indeed, the, uh, the the Silicon Valley of the UK, but without oh, yeah. the diamonds, as I used to refer to it. Um, yeah, so HP had a global treasury operation, three centres, uh, California, Palo Alto, California, Bracknell, UK, and Singapore, uh, covering the respective uh, time zones. The UK was really the main treasury centre because from there we handled all treasury activity across Europe, Middle East, uh, Africa, and Latin America. Uh, we took over the end-of-day positions from Asia-Pacific, and, and the U.S. Uh, was ring-fenced for tax purposes, like a lot of the U.S. parent companies are. Um, and the role I started in, in um, I started as a treasury consultant, and actually it was just the perfect role for a newbie like me to, to get stuck into. Um, this role really involved me working with all of the operating and manufacturing entities across the region, and through that, it gave me good appreciation of how the company operated, understanding their their their, uh, their tax model, their sales model, and having the opportunity to work with the um, executive committees in each of the countries, um, as well as working with important functional stakeholders such as finance, tax, legal, and, and so on. And, and and I suppose the the activity really involved, you know, under, getting to understand the business, um, what was happening more broadly. And then you're making decisions um, on the back of that around things like revenue hedging, um, balance sheet hedging, understanding activities taking place that might impact interest rate exposure and so on. And these are fairly critical activities for HP, which um, less so for for inkjet printing, but when you look at sort of laptops and the like, the business is based on fairly fine margins. So actually getting getting the right hedging strategy in place was really important. So it was a, it was a great opportunity for me. And at the same time, uh, concurrently, I was asked to get involved in setting up the Treasury infrastructure for Agilent Technologies. This was the, uh, the demerger transaction you referenced. So again, a very unique opportunity to get involved in the demerger and also the opportunity to set up from scratch um, a, a, a Treasury infrastructure. And you know, there aren't many jobs where you can go looking for that sort of opportunity. Yeah, straight from so, day uh, one, I think. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So it was a it was a really great, uh, really great first step into treasury. So thanks for that, Mike. Oh, and, pleasure. And and then from there, uh, Sarah asked me. Then after about eighteen months or so, about fifteen months, uh, Sarah then asked me to take over the running of the uh, the shared the treasury shared services centre. Um, and again, you know, that was something an opportunity that I grabbed and again a very interesting time because HP had begun a program of treasury centralization of moving activity out of the countries into the Bracknell Centre. So we ended up uh, progressing the, the centralization program itself, which in itself was a unique experience, but then undertaking the, the daily management of all the cash management and foreign exchange um, activities uh, and funding for those uh, operating, manufacturing, and special purpose entities. 
And um, so, so working on the centralization, standardization, and then sort of kicking off a big transformation agenda. And, and really the ambition there was to get things like cash management onto pretty much an automated process with it and, and then managing it by exception so that uh, I and the team could free ourselves up really to focus more on, on the value-add activities. So, for example, um, we managed a cash portfolio of about $14 billion. So clearly important to spend more time on that than dealing with account reconciliations. Um, and that's really where sort of big technology investment really played uh, a key role for us. Um, and, and during that role then, of course, came along the HP Compact merger, which again, very, very unique experience. And you know, if you went looking for that opportunity, you wouldn't find it so easily. And then, uh, so you did that role for sort of in, in total with HP about seven years. You know, what That's then? Right. You know, what then led to a move on, or what were you thinking next? Well, then at that point, then like starting to think about sort of opportunities, and um, and again, Sarah and I had the opportunity to join a startup called SCF Capital. Uh, which was looking at supply chain financing opportunities within the IT industry. So in other industries, such as pharmaceutical um, at the time, you know, supply chain financing, you know, reverse factoring in, in particular, was actually quite well established. But um, in the IT industry, it was still uh, in its infancy. And, and big cash-rich companies like HP often... Um, we're focused on things like, you know, day sales, outstanding, and really in response to fairly traditional accounting metrics and, and measures that the analysts and uh, investors would, would often challenge the company on. But, um, you know, the missed opportunity there is that when you sort of take a company like HP and you look up and down the supply chain at uh, contract manufacturers, distributors, you know, they have fairly weak balance sheets, they operate to very thin margins, and they have a higher cost of capital uh, for their own financing needs. So this was really around actually how could you create a supply chain program that played on the credit arbitrage opportunity between a large uh, entity like HP and its relatively uh, balance sheet weaker yeah. supply chain uh, counterparties and, and create a financing program that basically allow them to fund themselves more cheaply, you know, separate business performance from credit risk. And then tied and doing, but then didn't it tie them in, but also you, they sort of gave the umbrella of the, the risk being de-risked because you're dealing with HP. Is that right? Yes, in, in, in effect, because really what we were doing is we were separating the, the, the business performance from the, from the credit risk. So, um, you know, we're, we're committing to, 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 you know, we're basically we're asking companies like HP to sort of commit to commit to pay forward, and and then being able to go off and facilitate the supply chain financing which the um, the supply chain partners needed, and really the upshot of that is you're you're sharing the cost of capital arbitrage between you, um, but more importantly increasing the velocity of trade, which is good for all parties. Yeah, and then the move. You'd, you'd, you'd done corporate, you'd done banking treasury, corporate treasury, and then and this role with SCF, and then you decided to make a move back to banking. Yes, indeed. Um, so uh, then in 2008, so I went into SCF Capital. I, I sort of said I'd, I'd go in for a year or so because I just wanted to experience life in a, in a startup environment, very different to what I'd been used to before as HP and Barclays. So the opportunity to go in and experience a startup was, was good. 
Um, and then in 2008, uh, the sort of dark clouds of the financial crisis started to gather. And, and banks became a lot more interested in the liability side of their balance sheet. And um, uh, Barclays came looking for me. Um, and I guess their interest in me was that, one, I was a treasurer by profession um, and so understood uh, funding and liquidity. Given my previous work with Barclays, um, you know, I had some understanding of banking as well. And of course, coming from a corporate treasury environment meant that I also understood uh, their customers. And kind of bringing the three together, um, you know, created a unique uh, proposition opportunity for me. So the role I did with Barclays at that time was, was head of international liquidity. But, but in essence, what I did was I focused on the, the non-UK market. So my remit was really Western Europe, Sub-Sahara, Africa, and Middle East. And my role there really was working with the treasurers in each of the countries and looking at the composition of the balance sheet funding in those jurisdictions. So you were helping those treasurers, but you'd already been on that side. Was it a difficult move to think, you know, you'd made the move banking, treasury, and then this was a move back again. Do you have concerns about it, you know, coming back out of corporate or not thinking actually continue the corporate career? Um, no, I mean, I think having done the HP bit at the time, I thought actually HP was going to be a hard act to follow as a corporate. So, you know, where else would I find another corporate with a similar level of challenge and complexity and, and, and industry dynamics? And I thought actually going back into banking would be really interesting because, again, this would give me, it would give me a bird's eye view across uh, different industries and an opportunity to work with a very diverse group of, of large corporates in particular. Um, and actually, when Barclay spoke to me about the role, I, um, the, the role that they had in mind was slightly different. But I said, actually, if we could, if we could tweak the role a little bit, um, I, I could be interested in it. And, and what we did was, the, the first part of it really was working with the treasurers in each of the countries and understanding the composition of the, the liability side of the balance sheet. But then working with the cash and trade product leads in those countries and understanding the customer proposition for both domestic corporates and international corporates um, to see actually how could we build out, where, where would, using my, my corporate experience and my treasury experience, what are the things that the bank needs to do to build out its, its core cash management capabilities yeah. to be a credible banking pair both for domestic corporates and also large multinational corporates. And really the idea was there was that if you, if you build out your proposition and you can attract in uh, corporate banking business, in essence what you're doing is you're bringing in very sticky transactional flows, you're bringing in current account balances, you're bringing in surplus liquidity, all of which was then designed to provide quality funding for the balance sheet. So it was really a good opportunity to bring sort of corporate treasury and banking together in a very meaningful way. And if you think, if you kind of think back to that time when credit conditions and the markets were tightening up, um, we often forget, based in the UK and, and sort of Western Europe more generally, it's actually quite easy to move currency across geographies. You know, if you're a bit lower in euros in France, you can move euros from Spain. But if you're in Ghana and you run out of Ghanaian CDs uh, as a bank, then you have to stop lending until either you, you gather in more deposits or you can run off some of your lending book. Um, 
so uh, that's really kind of how the road was was, was so important to uh, keeping the show on the road and yeah. and yeah. using that expertise to you know to build out a very sustainable business from a, from a from a customer cash management proposition as well as supporting the balance sheet. And then the move into the sort of the commercial bank. So you sort of you you went from Barclays and then RBS came again, or how did that ha- that come yeah. about? Um, well, at the time I was when I was at Barclays doing what I just outlined, then I was I was approached by RBS. Um, I suppose and you know, and RBS had a very similar interest in me uh, for the same reason that that, that Barclays did. And uh, an RBS came to me and says, "Well, actually, we have we have an opportunity. This is what we this is what we need to do." So this was now sort of late summer 2009, when the um, uh, when, by which time the bank had gone into financial rescue. And um, so RBS approached me and said, "Actually, we have an opportunity for you. Uh, we'd really like you to come in and help build a uh, deposit gathering capability for the commercial bank." And help to build out our funding uh, plan. Um, I, I I jumped at the opportunity really because um, I like fixing things. It was it was a very it was a very big opportunity, and uh, it was it was uh, a great opportunity to come in to what has essentially been the largest corporate turnaround in history, I guess. Yeah, and to be part of that and. Uh, in, in terms of things that I enjoy doing, it was it was it was quite nice to come in and be given a blank sheet of paper and some budget and say, right, you know, this is this is over to you now. Can you can you uh, help us do this? And uh, so I had quite good free reign really to to build the product management team that I that I did at the time and uh, and, and help support the fix agenda, which was really around uh, uh, funding the, the balance sheet from the corporate deposit side. And what, what's, you know, the exposure like in, in terms of, you know, you, you're then speaking to, again, a lot of the corporate treasurers and a lot of the larger corporates and utilising your past experience, would you say? Uh, yes. So as, as part of my role, I, I engage with uh, with corporates on a regular basis, as, you, as you'd expect. Um, and I think from... Um, I suppose from coming in from the bank, it does give it, it does provide quite a unique perspective when engaging with with, uh, with with corporate customers because actually here's somebody who's coming in from the bank who has first-hand experience of treasury, not only from a sort of a technical understanding of treasury, but actually has done the job yeah. and you know, understands that it's not just what's in front of you, but actually it's understanding the role of treasury in the wider firm and how how many well. I would say how all, almost all of the business decisions impact Treasury in one or more ways, whether that's funding or uh, impacting foreign exchange exposures or, or whatever. Um, so hopefully I'm able to bring a, a different dimension to the conversation um, based on that experience. And we talked a lot uh, recently that uh, a lot of the guys are coming to you internally saying, we've got customers who want, virtual accounts or they want blockchain or they want this and you and i had sort of had a you know a bit of a jokey conversation but you ask you generally ask those guys the sort of why question or you you couch it in different terms because you were saying that lots of corporates are you know perhaps struggling with this onslaught of you must do straight through processing you must do blockchain you must do that 
can you just relate that to some of our listeners, just a bit about the way that you sure. try and help people? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, if we take virtual accounts as, as an example, yeah. so um, it's hard not to pick up a treasury publication these days, and there's a, some article in there Probably talking about you. virtual yeah. accounts. And you almost read about it so often that you feel you need to have a virtual accounting solution, even if you don't know what it is or what you want to do with it. And, and I think that's, for me, that's kind of the, the, the crux of, of the challenge is that, yes, virtual accounts um, are, are gaining in, in popularity. There's a lot of development by banks in virtual account uh, platform technology. But, but really, the question you need to ask yourself is, what is the problem statement that you are trying to solve? Hmm. So virtual accounts, uh, virtual account management, you know, has a whole number of different applications. So some companies might choose a virtual account platform because they want to uh, operate an in-house bank and don't have a, a platform on which they could operate it themselves. So using a bank's virtual accounting solution uh, would effectively uh, provide that capability. And for others, it's a, it's a reconciliation issue. Um, so they need some form of reconciliation tool that, that perhaps the functionality of a virtual accounting platform can provide. Um, for others, it might be that they want to give their customers a very unique account number because they repeatedly refuse to provide references when they're paying their various invoices. And by using a unique account number identifier, it helps, um, it helps with that, that reconciliation process. And for others again, and for others again, it might be actually I've got you know I've got 500 bank accounts and I want to rationalise it down to just a couple of physical accounts, but how can I do that in a way that still allows me to segregate my flows and balances? And again, that's where the virtual account platform can can um, play a role. So, uh, you know, in short, as I'm saying, that's you, you kind of need to be clear about what is the what's the problem statement or the opportunity that you're trying to address. Just going back, sorry, just to something you mentioned earlier, you talked about doing the treasury exams and how that actually helped you when you walked in the door at the bank, not only your corporate treasury experience, but also having that sort of backing of those qualifications. When Are you still relying on those, still drawing from those, would you, would you say? Um, yes, I mean, the, the, the treasury qualifications I did to the ACT have been sort of a it's been the one constant I've had throughout my career. So as I've moved in between different roles, um, that, that technical expertise you get through the exams um, are forever invaluable. They give you a very good, uh, give you very good grounding, first of all. But they also provide you, I guess, with a framework that you can use mm. to, to test out different decisions that, that, uh, that you're making or ideas that you're, that you're thinking about. And in all the different roles that I've done, I've, I've always been able to draw on my uh, treasury background, but also the treasury qualification, you know, to help me with that. Um, and, it's, you know, I have to say it's probably one of the best. It sounds a bit corny on a, on a treasury recruitment, uh, <laughs> or, but actually it's, it's, it's undoubtedly one of the best decisions I made in my early uh, career was to... Um, to you, the qualifications sound like they're, they're, you know, very important to you. How key would you say to brand new people thinking, oh, should I do ACT or should I follow that? What, what are your thoughts? So, so ACT is a great qualification and I'd encourage anybody to do it because even if you decided not to stay in Treasury, um, 
the, the, the technical knowledge and the learning experience that you get from Treasury is readily transferable into many, many other disciplines. So it really is a fail-safe um, uh, uh, qualification in, in my view. Um, and I think also it depends on your perspective. So for me, all those years ago, making the leap from, from Barclays into HP, the advantage I had in holding the, the MCT qualification actually was it, it gave potential recruiters like Sarah a good benchmark. Uh, okay, so here's somebody who's coming in from banking. He's never worked for a corporate and he hasn't worked in sort of a corporate treasury environment. You know, does he, is he any good? Is he likely to have any interest? Well, I think if you've got... Uh, a qualification like AMCT or MCT, it's, it's a very good benchmark that people can use. But it's important that qualifications aren't used in isolation. Um, I would certainly never exclude somebody because they didn't have the qualification. And, and I wouldn't hire somebody just because they had the qualification. It sort of comes back to the individual, their own, uh, their, their, their personality, you know, their, their behaviors, and their experiences and, and sort of those broader life skills I mentioned um, a moment ago. So yeah, I'm just I'm, I'm just as interested in understanding, you know, do they pass the common sense test? Uh, what are interpersonal skills? And what are the things they do outside of work? Because I, I think it's really important to understand the whole of the person. Um, so what hobbies do they have? You know, have they sporting interests? Uh, you and I are, are, are big rugby fans, so obviously anybody who's a footballer would be immediately excluded. But, um, it doesn't mean that. Yeah. It doesn't mean that as long as you know, as long as you. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but you know, for me, it's it's important that uh, you that considerations that sort of the qualifications are considered. Um, yeah. But really, when you're looking at the whole of the individual. In combination. Okay. And you've done you've done treasury for many years. Why why would you say you know treasury is it for you? What what is it? You get up in the morning. You you know you you slip in on the train. Go oh yeah, this is a good day doing treasury. I'm really enjoying. What is it that's always sort of stood out for you? Um. So so treasury, I think first of all, I mean it's 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 a very well recognised and respected profession. Mm. I think of this commented on, you know, it has, it has, it has stood me well uh, over my career. Mm. Um, I think the other thing, the, the unique thing for me about Treasury is it really puts you at, at the heart of the company. So you are very close uh, to uh, the strategy of the company. You get involved in strategic discussions. You get involved in implementing the strategy. Um, but you're also, then very, you're also then very close to to the day-to-day -day operations of the firm, you, you see, you see the company operating around you, whether that's a relatively small company or a large multinational. Um, it gives you a very unique uh, oversight, but also proximity to the activity that's happening right across the company, and you can see the direct linkages around what's happening in the business and how that impacts, for example, the balance sheet or the P&L or some of the, the risks that are being created or indeed being mitigated, hopefully, mm. uh, by the work that you do as a treasurer. Um, and it also exposes you to, to a really unique and interesting group of stakeholders as well. I think, you know, particularly when you get involved in some of the the more strategic stuff, whether that's a merger or a demerger or um, you know, whatever's going on in the company, you, you do get to work with some really interesting people. And they could be you know, tax advisors, you know, 
I'm a bit surprised to say tax advisor and interesting in the same intentions. But um, you know, when I think of like if I think of the HP Compact merger, I mean it was just fiendishly interesting working with really bright, capable people across the globe. You know, with, with tax, with tax experts, with lawyers, uh, and, and you know, technology experts and, and the like. You, you get to. Um, you get some really interesting exposure with some very, very interesting people, and, and yeah. consequently, you learn a lot. And, and sorry, the other thing I was just going to say as well, particularly in a in a larger multinational company, it's also the environment. Um, again, when I think of my roles at, at, at HP and and laterally at Barclays, which which were international in nature. You just get to work with so many different uh, cultures, and you learn. Yes, you learn a lot about local jurisdictions and you know tax law and uh, and, and and the like, but also the people um, that you have the opportunity of working with, um, and you get to experience some really really interesting cultures, um, and you make great friends too, um, and. You know, cultural diversity is 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 really important um, and really really valuable, and and it just creates it just creates a really interesting environment to be part of. Um, you know, quite often I go home at night time from HP, for example, and think about actually who did I talk to on the telephone today, and you can sort of rattle through. Well, actually, I've spoken to somebody in Brazil and Argentina, and I was talking to the tax guy in, in Austria, and I was talking to the controller in Switzerland, and sometimes you end up pinching yourself. Yeah, it's totally external and international, interesting, all, all rolled into one sort of thing. And, and we oft, I often get emails from various guys within banking who say, uh, I want to make a move into corporate treasury. And I, you know, I often say, look, you're very specialist maybe if they're more senior. They've moved you know, a lot further up their sort of silo sometimes and things like that. But what would you say? You've made the move banking, corporate, back to banking. So firsthand, you know about this. So what what would you say banking candidates maybe need to think about if they are thinking about making a move into the corporate treasury arena or they're just toying with the idea? What what are your, you know, you've, you've been there and done it. You've got the T-shirt. Um, you know, it, it's an Irish colored T-shirt, but we'll move on past that. <laughs> um, but, you know, what would you say? Um, well, I think, I think first of all, you kind of need to think of us in more generic terms with any career. So certainly when I've thought about career moves and opportunities, I sort of apply a couple of tests. Um, one, is, one is, do I think I'll enjoy it? So you spend half your life at work, so you might as well enjoy it. Um, so do you think that's the right move for you? And do you think you, you know, are you clear in what it is that you want to get out of that role and, and what in that role? Is, is going to make you happy. Um, I think the second thing is, for me, is um, will you learn from that role? Um, and, and I think that's really important. In any role that you go into, you need to, you need to learn. Um, continuous learning, it, it's for life. It, your learning doesn't stop uh, once you've got your exams and got a couple, the first couple of jobs under your belt. And um, I think in any role, you need to have an opportunity for continuous learning. So that'll be the second test for me. And the third test is, to the extent that you know what you want to do beyond that, is is the role going to be helpful? Hmm. Um, and you know, even I think of my when I think of people I've hired in the past and when I've hired in graduates, you know, it's just a matter of fact that in their early career, graduates can often have a very 
kind of a complete change of heart around what they want to do. You know, I had somebody who came into a treasury role and decided actually he thought he might like to go into teaching. Oh, well. And, and, and therefore, you know, what, and, and so the conversation was, well, well, that's fine. So what are the things that we can help you with in this treasury role? What are the sort of the broader life skills we can help you develop that would be helpful for you then going in for a teaching uh, role? And, you know, we talked about things around, you know, presentation skills, for example. You know, these are generic life skills you can learn in a role. Mm. Um, so there are the three things. I think to get back to more specifically to your question, well, I, you know, I'd apply those three tests. But I think um, it's a bit of a leap. I think it's a leap of faith, first of all. It's quite a big step. Um, you know, I remember jumping from Barclays into HP. I mean, that was a huge career choice for me to make. I was... I was quite unnerved at the time. Um, but I think you just have to be brave. You, you need to take, uh, don't be afraid to take a chance. Um, it's no harm having a, an, an idea of what plan B might look like. So if you make the leap and, and you give it your best shot and for whatever reason it doesn't work out, then you know, what might plan B look like? You know, do you try and do you step back into banking or do you, uh, do you, do, do, you do something else? Um, I mean, I think they're, that's a really key thing. Um, and as a senior treasury professional, what does your plan B look like? Where do you maybe see the next developments coming from for you? But I think also um, perhaps development opportunities can come from maybe sources that you wouldn't have thought of traditionally. And I was, I was involved as a, or at least I attended an ACT event recently on non-exec directorships, which was quite interesting. Now, <laughs> Ned roles are often thought of something, a bit of a sleepy role that you do after you retire and yeah. you rock, rock up once in a while and choose some nice wines for lunch and, and read a board report. As if you would, um, as if you would. As if I would. Um, of course, a Ned role is, is nothing like that anyway, even even if it's something that you do in in your retirement. You know, it's a, it's a very, very fulfilling um, uh, and, and value-add role. Um, but also, it... There are a lot of people in their working careers now who look to things like net opportunities uh, to support their continuous development. You're getting exposure to other industries, getting exposures to how other companies operate and getting exposure of, you know, of operating at board level. Um, and whether that's executive board or being involved in things like risk committee or remuneration committee or audit committee, um, you know, net roles are very interesting ways of of rounding out your um, your ability, and yeah. and I think as traders we're very uniquely placed uh, to play very meaningful roles as as non-exec directors. Um, so a bit of a long answer, Mike, but, no, it's, great. but I think I think the point is there are, there are lots of there are lots of very interesting things that you can do to progress your career, and it's not necessarily some of the traditional things of hopping from one company to the next. I think look around at what's happening in your industry, so on banking, you know, absolutely. Innovation is, is what's reshaping our industry and, and taking on the challenge of the fintech companies who are, who are trying to eat our lunch. <laughs> and, and, but, also, but also thinking about um, maybe some of the other uh, non-traditional areas like uh, non-exec directors um, as an example of things that you can do to further yourself. Yeah. So to wrap up today, what have you got out of Treasury that you would say someone walks in the door now and says, right, 
what net? You know, why, why would I follow your career? What what would you say? But I think um, you know, if I think of my own career and what I would say to to people coming into a, a career in in treasury, you know, I think one the qualification is, is second to none. Um, I think being at the centre of the company. Uh, it, it's a it's a very unique opportunity for you to to learn and to get exposure to to everything that's that's going on. But I think more generally, I think for you know, I, I take the view you know when I sort of interview people for roles, I sort of take the view that any role that you go into can be as interesting or as boring as you want it to be. If you want it to be boring, don't bother applying. If you want it to be interesting. And yourself motivated, you know, you've come to the right, uh, you've come to the right place. You're right at the right place. I think, um, but I'm not a great believer. I've never believed in having a five-year plan. Um, I've never had one, and I don't, I don't believe in it because I just don't think the world works like that. And I'm not sure it ever really did. Maybe in, maybe old school banking, it probably did. So I think you just have to. I think you just have to seize opportunities that come up and sometimes you can create those opportunities so when i think of different roles i've been been in so when i when i was in barclays the first time around you know did i ever think that within a couple of years i'd be running a three trillion dollar treasury operation for one of the, the world's largest companies absolutely not but i took a leap of faith and there was an opportunity there when i got to the other side and and i and i grabbed it and similarly when i was uh, you know i then made made the leap into, into Barclays from there and did that international liquidity role. And again, you know, the role I did there was one that I had a conversation about and I said, well, the role, you, the role you've offered to me isn't quite what I wanted to do, but if you were willing to reshape the role so it could look like this, this, and this, then I would be really interested. You know, I was able to create an opportunity from something. And then likewise, you know, sitting in Barclays, you know, did I ever think that I'd have an opportunity to come work for RBS and be part of was it was essentially one of the largest corporate turnarounds in history? No. But again the opportunity the opportunity presented itself and, and I jumped at it. So in short, you know, look for opportunities and grab them. You know, take a chance and believe in yourself. I think a lot of the time people dissuade themselves from from pushing themselves or making the move um, because there are barriers in the way and, and those barriers are, are almost always self-imposed barriers. So don't do it. Believe in yourself and take a chance. I couldn't say it better. That was a fantastic uh, wrap-up to today's episode. What I was going to perhaps suggest is if people do want to connect with you, Connor, is the best way via LinkedIn if they're on there and just reach out to you, obviously, if they're in the treasury industry. You know, a good way to sort of connect with you to talk to you about the future and things yeah yes indeed uh, please do connect into me on linkedin i've had my uh, i've had my photograph updated so uh, I'm, I'm looking fantastic on this good work <laughs> that's great stuff. well thank you very much for your time today and uh, look forward to the future yeah thank you mike nice to catch up thanks very much